Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and resiliency expert, helping people to think, speak, and act positively through the many and varied challenges of life. Find out more about me in this interview at my website, which is Tom, the number two, and tall, T-A-L-L dot com. My guest today is the second guest I've had who's going to be an upcoming speaker at the Sales Performance Summit in Toronto on April 6th. Uh, his name is Tim Herson. Tim works globally as an executive consultant, business school guest lecturer, and keynote speaker on better sales, better thinking, and better performance. He is the author of, I love this title, Never Be Closing, published by Penguin Portfolio, recommended by the Oprah Winfrey Network. Wow. And selected as one of the seven most useful how-to-sell books of 2014 by Inc. Magazine. He is also the author of Think Better, published by McGraw-Hill, and is used in over 100 business schools globally. He has keynoted in more than 30 countries and is a guest lecturer at university and college business programs in the U.S., U.K., Canada, Mexico, Chile, South Africa, and Australia. Wow. Welcome to the show today, Tim. Hey, Tom. It's a great pleasure to be here. Wow, you uh, must know how to pack a bag and uh, travel the world. That's a lot of countries to speak in. That's amazing. <laughs> it is, and I'm a no-check bag guy. Unless I go for a, a very, very long time, I try not to uh, ever check a bag. Wow. So uh, I've become a fairly good packer. You could do a program <laughs> on that alone. <laughs> so uh, when I was talking to both uh, Stephen uh, Rosen and Tibor Shanto, they said, well, Tim's become a bit of a celebrity now because of the Oprah Winfrey Network recommending the book. Uh, wow. Wow. How did that come to be? Do you know, I really, I don't even know how it came out. What I think what happened was that my, the publisher, the Penguin uh, portfolio folks, uh, as part of their, you know, normal outreach, uh, got to, you know, in contact with some of the folks at the Oprah Win- Winfrey Network and said, you know, here's a book that, that we think is kind of unique and, and interesting and, and new and a different take on things. And then I think they didn't hear back for a long time. And at some point, uh, I guess it was in, in December, uh, out came the article. So it's a little bit of a black box. It's kind of a mystery. But it's nice, and people have responded very well, there's no doubt. Right. Anytime you can hook your name to the Oprah Winfrey somehow <laughs> as being recommended or selected by her, that is 
quite a, an accomplishment. Uh, before we get too far, let's remind people, uh, April 6th, you're speaking uh, along with uh, uh, three or four other amazing people. I know a few of them interviewed uh, uh, Stephen Rosen already. I knew Tibor Shanto before. So that's April 6th. The website for that is torontosalesummit.com. Uh, talk a little bit about that before we get into finding out more about you. Yeah, sure. Well, we think this is going to be really fun. I know we're going to have fun, and I'm pretty sure our audience is going to have fun, too. Uh, it started out with a casual conversation uh, between uh, Tibor and Steve and myself. And we were talking about the challenges that are faced by not so much individual sales reps, salespeople, uh, but about their organizations. You know, How do you create a culture in which... Um, performance becomes really the, 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 the platform, the, the key. And we talked about the difficulties of meeting quotas and, you know, Steve through his company has done a, a really interesting survey, which demonstrates that a, about half, not quite, but almost half of sales reps throughout North America don't reach quota. That's a big number. You know, what would, what would that mean if, you know, half of, of uh, <laughs> you know, any profession, you know, didn't achieve what it was that they were? That would be, you know, like you wouldn't want your doctor not to achieve quota, would you? So, right. So, so what's going on here? It's not, we think, about, about skills. I mean, how many sales training courses are there? How many books are there? It's not about incentives. There are kind of all kinds of incentives programs. So what's, what's going on here? What is, what's, what's under, underneath it? Uh, is it that the quotas are impossible to achieve? Well, we know that that's not true because half of them are. So what actually is going on? And we started delving into it and we started thinking about the role that the, that the manager plays. Now, this isn't to blame the manager by any means, but what is the role that the manager plays, not in accepting responsibility, but in creating opportunity, in creating the opportunity for a different kind of culture, a culture in which you come to work every day and you are part of a team that wants to succeed? You know, there's a wonderful quote that um, um, Drucker, you know, the famous guru, business guru, uh, said, he said, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Mm. And I think there's an enormous amount of truth in that. So unless you create a culture in which performance is really the platform, that's where you work from all the time, every day, it's not going to happen. And we know it doesn't happen. So that's that was the genesis of it. And we thought, wouldn't it be great if we could give people some tools to help them uh, achieve that end, to help them start to build the kind of culture that they need? in order to achieve nice. the success that they want. So that's what the nice. summit is going to be about. Nice. And I uh, understand, like, already it's been well-received because when I was talking with Steve there, uh, weren't a lot of tickets left. I think, like, less than 20. I know less than 20, less than 15, I believe. So, again, TorontoSalesSummit.com. It's on April the 6th. Uh, Tim, you, uh, well, you had mentioned. Tom, let, me, let me jump in for a sec because yeah. because this issue this issue of of availability is a big one now. I think we've got one left actually. As of the, of the weekend, I think Ooh. there's one live seat left. So um, we've been working really hard 
to figure out ways to get people to uh, have be able to have access um, through the web. Uh, we're not sure that we can do a live streaming. We were hoping that we could do that, but we we are pretty sure we can record this thing, and we're we're also going to try to make it available to people um, within a very short period of time uh, on the web as well. Uh, so it's not you can, that you can't see it, but you, it's unlikely unless you're that last one person <laughs> that you can see it live. Wow. Wow, sold out already. But as you said, there's going to be a number of different ways in a fairly quick order that people will be able to get the information and uh, view it online in some way, form, or fashion. And so there's still hope. If you can't get that last ticket, you're still going to be able to get the information, uh, just not uh, live in person. So good, good, good. So torontosalesummit.com. So, Tim, I'm a Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor. His number one principle is definiteness of purpose. And I'm sure when you grew up, your parents weren't saying, my little Timmy's going to be an author, a sales trainer, and guest lecturer at universities and college. And uh, I've been in sales for 25 years, so I know that you didn't start out like this. You probably started out getting a pile of no's and not knowing which direction is up. And so tell us how you got to where you are, where you're guest lecturing at universities and business programs and colleges and author of a really cool book, Never Be Closing. Uh, There's a number of steps that got you to where you are today. Yeah, isn't it interesting? There's a lovely, lovely saying that, you know, I, I do a lot of speaking, as you mentioned, and there's a lovely saying that every, every good speaker, every great speaker, I think is the saying, every great speaker was a, a, a terrible speaker first. And that, you, know, that you could apply that to almost any profession, couldn't you? You know, you know any great mm-hmm. artist was a, was a terrible artist first, you know, and, and any great salesperson was a terrible salesperson first. I think you know, yeah, we can talk about the individual steps in, in my journey, but I, but I think that there's an overriding principle here, which is so important, particularly today where speed, you know, everybody wants to do things fast, fast, fast. We so grossly overestimate what we can do in the short term. And we so neglect and underestimate what we can do over time. Success is step after step after step after step. And it's those little improvements and those big setbacks and those more little improvements and another big setback mm-hmm. that really pave the way, I think, to the, the success of most people. And it's in every single field. It's in the field of you know, riding a bicycle to being an, a, a good parent to being a decent salesperson to being a good speaker to being a good business person. Uh, it takes time. You know, we, we, we do not change overnight. We do not learn overnight. We improve pretty incrementally over time. So I think it's that long view that is important. And that means, and it comes back to what I think you were saying earlier, Tom, that means that, yeah, there are lots of failures, you know, there, and, and one of the things that I think you have to not only accept, I was going to say accept, but it's not only accept, it's it's also celebrate is those setbacks, is those failures. And it's, you know, it's falling down and falling forward, you know, and 
falling down, falling forward uh, every single time. And mm-hmm. that's what intrigues me so much about how you, how you title yourself, Tom. You know, you're, you're a resiliency expert. It's kind of about resiliency, isn't it? It is, and I like how you mentioned fall forward. You're always moving forward. You're going to fall a bunch of times. Uh, when I fall, I can't get up, so that, uh, it's even harder for me. But, yeah, as long as you're moving forward and falling forward, not falling backwards or moving backwards. And, uh, you know, 25 years ago, if you said, yeah, you'll be speaking, but you'll be talking about your journey with chronic pain since the age of five throughout your body 24-7, I would have been like, I don't want to talk about that. And what do people want to hear that for? And so a lot of things you learn along the way. And when you get to my age, 51, you're able to look back and see, yeah, I've fallen a lot along the way. But boy, I've had some great advice. I've learned some great things. I have a lot of great wisdom now that I wouldn't have had if I had all hadn't had all those challenges. And so you're right, it's so much of what we ourselves personally grow into as a person, but even organizations. It's about resiliency, having a culture where you're part of a team and you're able to try things and fail at things and not get fired and still grow the business and so resiliency is everywhere in people and even in organizations, aren't it? Isn't it? So true, so true. And without resiliency, you know, kids wouldn't learn to walk. Nobody would ever ride a bicycle. Um, people would, you know, give up school on the third day. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right. And some people give up along their journey and along their trip, and they just. You know, just accept whatever life throws at them and and don't really thrive into the person that they can be if they uh, approached it differently with more resilience. And so, yeah, yeah uh, we uh, all of us encounter those steps along the way. As you said, we could quit school. A lot of people quit school in high school. They just get fed up, get fed up with school and they just quit. And so... Uh, part of life is just struggling through the adversities to make yourself a better person, even though you really at the time cannot see where this is going to benefit you in any way. So true. And it can be terrifying. You know, you, you <laughs> asked about my, my particular journey. I, I remember being hired when I was about, gosh, I, I think I was about 24 or five years old. And uh, I had met a, a, a guy who does uh, training programs. And this particular training program was about how to, uh, how to speak more effectively, uh, how, to, how to present in front of audiences, business presentations. And uh, I had done some writing for this guy, writing of little video inserts into programs and so on and so forth. But I'd never done a training. And one day he calls me up and he says, you know, we're, I have a, this crew that's going out. As it happened, it was to Winnipeg. I'm going out to Winnipeg and um, one of my guys got sick and I need a substitute trainer. Can you do it? <laughs> I said, well, I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I knew the material because I'd written, you know, parts of it and written around it, but I never delivered the program. So here I am, I'm this, you know, young 20s kid, and we arrive in Winnipeg, and it was for some executives of a large, of a large company. And uh, I remember walking into the room uh, to, for the training, 
And and my, my heart, you know the, the 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 phrase "your heart is in your mouth." Well, I mean mm-hmm. that's how it literally feels. Like you don't even think you can talk because because there's something in the way. And um, they're all sitting there. There's about I don't know, fifteen or so people in a room. And um, within about two minutes, I realized that from their point of view. I was walking into the room with this neon sign on my forehead that was flashing expert, expert, expert. And that I had already been positioned as somebody who knew what it was they were talking about. And in fact, and in fact, I did know what I was talking about. I just never done it before. <laughs> so it was an amazing experience to suddenly realize that I had and could grab a small piece of credibility, a small piece of authority about a particular subject, and that they were quite willing, as long as I kept, you know, kind of performing okay, that they were quite willing to go along with it. And in fact, in the end, it was a very successful uh, two days, and they got a lot out of it. There was real value that was delivered. And my God, Tom, did I ever get something out of it? I got 9,000 times more than they got out of it for sure. But I walked out of that two days, you know, with a totally different sense of who I was and what I was capable of doing. Nice. And I understand how that is. Like when you finish one of those, any kind of talk or especially a multi-day one, you get more out of it than the audience. You meet more people than the audience meets. You hear more stories than the rest of the people. You meet great people that, you know, give you opportunities for other things. And it's like, wow, like these people are coming up to thank me, but I got the, I got a bargain out of it too because I've, I have more self-esteem now. I'm more proud of myself. I know what I can do. I know people are happy. And so <laughs> I know exactly that uh, that feeling of what you're thinking about uh, after that. And so amazing. And then, as you said, when you walk in with this expert title, people just automatically assume you have it. And so as long as you speak to it properly, uh, even if you hadn't done it at that point, uh, they are prone to listen because you already had the title to it. So I love it. Yeah, now on your uh, website, uh, well, let's get people to that one. And I'll give you let you say that one because I can say the think part, but I don't know how you're doing the rest. XIC, what is thinkxic.com <laughs> for? Right. Well, the the name of the company, there are a couple of different websites, and I, I operate under the company name of of ThinkX, and it's it's Think kind of to the power of X. So when we print it out, you know, and when you when you see it, the X is is like, um, you know, an X. It's like oh yeah, an exponential, right, uh, right. in math. So um, and what we say is, you know, it, sometimes we we talk about it as exponential thinking. So it's ThinkX. Uh, and then the IC is intellectual capital. So, but it's so it's thinkxic, and what we do there is is dot com, and what we do there is we we give people uh, principles and tools, literally to help them think uh, better, and that's the title of my first book, Think Better. Uh, one of the cool things about that title, you know, we. We're fairly careful trying to select it originally, you know, hoping it would be a little provocative and, and, and self-explanatory. What we didn't realize, Tom, was that 
some people read that title, particularly when I'm in an audience and give talks, and there's there's a kind of a resentment there, and, and you can kind of you can understand that because people are saying, you know, who are you to tell me I can think better? I'm you know I'm here, I'm you know reasonably successful person, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I think just fine, thank you very much. Right. And you can see that sometimes in the audience, you can see you know, sort of either either they have their arms folded across their chest or. Or, or, or they kind of, you know, look like they should be having their arms folded across their chest. Right. <laughs> and, and so there's this, <laughs> so there's this kind of resistance. And yet, and yet, when I, I often open by asking the question, you know, do, do, do you play the best game of uh, golf you can possibly play? And people recognize right away, no. Do you, do you run as well as you can possibly run? People recognize, no. Do you do anything? as well as you possibly could do it? And the answer is no, because I can always improve. I can always learn. I can always practice. I can, somebody can give me a tip about something. And it's the same with your brain. It's the same with the way you think. So here we are going through our lives, and we, there's this unstated assumption that in every other part of our lives, there is opportunity for improvement. But somehow, in terms of the quality of your thinking, I'm not talking about what you know here. I'm not talking about learning facts, but the actual quality of your thinking, that it's kind of a given, that it, you know, it's as good as it can be. It's not. It can be so much better just by a little exposure to some skills, some training, and so on, uh, and, 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 and so forth. So it's kind of fun to yeah, you know, get yeah, people yeah. to that to point. see people change from arms closed to like, Hey, this guy has something here. I can be better at everything, and if I can be better at everything, I can be better at thinking as well. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and uh, it's simple. Napoleon Hill's book, <laughs> Think and Grow Rich, starts with thoughts are things. And I'm sure you've read that whoever the scientists are that examine these things say we have about thirty to 60,000 thoughts a day. So the person we're talking the most to is ourselves. And if you can purposely direct those thirty to 60,000 thoughts rather than letting the outside world direct them for you, uh, you're going to go in a more positive direction at the very least, aren't you? Absolutely. One hundred percent. And and yet, you know, one of the cool things about the thirty to 60,000, and that's a number that I use too, of course, is um, we don't notice most of them. Like, we just don't even notice them. They're just, you know, fly by. Wouldn't it be cool if you could just even notice more of them? You know, forget even doing anything about them. (laughs) Because so many of them are cool. So many of them are interesting. I ask people, where do you get your best ideas? And you know the answer. Everybody says this. Like two-thirds of the people say, in the shower. So that's cool. You get your best ideas in the shower. But, but, by the time, you know, you have the best idea in the universe you ever had in the shower and you know it and you're kind of pumped and you're excited by the time you dry yourself off you forgot what it was wouldn't it be great <laughs> wouldn't it be great if you could actually have those ideas and pay attention to them enough and capture them so that you could use them that would be cool so mm. one of the, the things that I you know see my job as doing when I'm working with business people with executives or entrepreneurs is, you know, I'm bringing the shower into the boardroom. You know, I really want you to do that kind of shower thinking and learn how you can grab those gems that are there all the time instead mm. of forgetting them. 
I love it. I have a lot of them in the car, so, uh, you know, I had to figure out ways, okay, how am I going to capture these ideas in the car? So I just record them into a little voice recorder, and uh, then I can listen to them afterwards. But, yeah, it's not only how to examine the thought so that you're looking at it in enough ways that you... It enforces it in your brain enough to remember it, but also recording it so that when you do get somewhere, you can do something about it. You haven't, uh, you don't have to sit down for 20 minutes and think, 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 think. What was I thinking about? What was I thinking about? <laughs> That's right. So yeah, examining the thought and then recording it. Uh, but uh, doing that, and sometimes we we don't have that capability. Once we get to the office, and we got like 92 emails, and seven people lined up at our door, and three people yelling on the phone, that creative thinking sort of goes in the back seat until the shower the next day. It does, it does indeed. But there are ways, and you've got one of them. Simple, you know. Get have a little voice recorder. It's so easy now. Anybody can do it. You can do it into your phone, right? Mm-hmm, um, exactly. to, to capture those ideas. And then there are other ways where you can simulate the, um, uh, the effect of being in the shower or driving or doing that, you know, repetitive work. A lot of people get their best ideas drying the dishes, you know, or mowing the lawn, uh, that, that, that repetitive kind of an activity, which seems to free up our minds to think in that, again, I'll use the metaphor, shower thinking kind of way. So there are deliberate things you can do to to stimulate that. And that's important. You want to be able to, as much as possible, stimulate it on demand almost. Exactly so. Exactly so. Rather than randomly. So that if you do have a group of intelligent, smart, ambitious, creative people in a room... Uh, you can, in a fairly quick order, get everyone in a high creativity mode, uh, like when they are doing their best thinking without the seven people lined up at their door and the three people yelling on the phone and the 92 emails in front of their face. Yeah. Nice. Now, let's right talk about your book, the title, when... Stephen Rosen first told me the title. I think my head spun around because I've been in sales for 25 years. Never be closing. And yet uh, I work at a company now, TechBlocks, a technology consultant, and our VP of sales, Peter Gorl, practices that. I often joke with people like, I don't know how he sells anything because he never asks for business, but people are lining up at the door to do business with him. And so I think he follows this never be closing because, uh, you know, I'm sitting here sometimes listening, thinking, okay, go for the close now. It's like, oh, go for the close now. And <laughs> never goes for the close. And yet at the end, people ask him if it'd be all right if they did business with him. It's like, wow. Okay. So that sounds like it's the premise of your book, never be closing, but build enough value that people are asking you if they could do business with you. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't, did you say his name was Peter? Peter Coral, yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know Peter, but I just, from your brief description, I know that what happens behind Peter's back is people say, you know, I met this guy. He is so great. I would do business with him anytime. So wouldn't it be great to be Peter? And that's, and, that's, and that's what Never Be Closing is about. You talked earlier about that singular purpose, the importance of a singular purpose. 
If you go in to a sales meeting, and I don't care who it's with, and your singular purpose is to close, close them, you're going to communicate that. They're going to know that. There isn't a human being in the world with a kind of a you know, n- n- normal brain functioning who can't recognize that he or she is trying to be closed. And if that's what they're feeling, if that's what they're seeing, what's their response going to be? Oh, no, you don't. They're going to be negative right from the beginning. And you're, you're, you're going to be battling through that negative perception from the first minute to the last minute you're there. And you know what? You may very well close them. You might be very, very good at what you do. But nobody that you ever do that to is ever going to remember you because you closed them, ever. What they will remember is if they really benefited from you, if you were useful to them, if you were open to them. There's a difference between opening and closing, isn't there? Right? Like, like always be opening would be something. <laughs> would be something. Um, so if you go in there, and I'll bet you this is what your guy Peter does, and the attitude is, I can do something for these people. There's something that I have that I can offer to them. And also to be honest enough to say, every once in a while, I can't do something for them. I'm not the right fit for them. Right. He does that. That immediately, that's what they see. That's what they feel. And so instead of being negative, they might be initially a little bit skeptical because not many people do this. But if you can go in with that, that, that positive sense of, I can be useful. I can be useful. I can be straight. I can be honest. You're going to walk out of that meeting, even if it's not a final close, even if the close comes, you know, two, three days, weeks, even months later, they're going to remember you not for closing them, but for helping them. Right. And they're going to remember that hard. They're going to remember that long. So when you come back to them, you've got the second sale and the third sale and the fourth sale. Right. And you know what's kind of... Yeah, it's, it's kind of like like retail sales in, in a funny way. The you know we know you know from a statistical perspective that the second sale in a retail operation is cheaper than the first sale. It is, and the third sale is cheaper still. So doesn't it make sense in a sense to aim for the third sale, the tenth sale, the hundredth sale, and not for that first sale necessarily? Right, right. You want the sale for the rest of your life, not just the sale for now. And as you mentioned, like Peter sometimes does, they'll start by saying, well, I'm not really sure we can help you or, you know, that would be any value to you or service to you, but let's examine it and explore it. And, you know, thinking you're starting off with saying that and that's so different than other people. Uh, We both know someone else who, you know, if he passes you in the hallway and you're in the same industry, he's going to try and close you. And as you said, you use the word battle. When you're being sold like that, you know you're in a battle. And to say no sometimes is exhausting. And so it's a lot nicer to have someone say, well, I'm not sure we can help you, but let's have a discussion to see. And and then he, he I've heard him throw out, Peter throw out a few creative ideas that are valuable that the company could use without us. 
And I'm thinking, like, hey, keep your lid on that one, man. Keep the lid on that one. But, no, when you're open to share like that and and, uh, your ideas come to you and you don't hide them and sit on them until you can monetize them, and when you're up front that, yeah, I'm not really sure, like, at this moment we're a great fit for doing business together, but at least now I know more about you and, and I can help you because I know more about you. That's a lot nicer way than being exhausted after you've been sold to because you had to battle your way through the whole conversation just to say no or yes. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Now there are, you know there are folks who who listen to that message and they say, really, no, our <laughs> job is our job is to sell. But you know, right. I'll bet you Peter is pretty successful. I'll bet you the people remember him. I'll bet you the people refer him um, because of the the very attitude that that you're describing. Right. You know, how would you sell to your mom? You know, would you would you try to close your mom? <laughs> we know why. You would want to help your mom. <laughs> and right. I, I think that's the way we can be with almost anybody. Right. And you want to be so that if you change organizations two or three times and 12 years down the road, you're calling someone to do business with them that immediately they remember that you are different and you added value and well, it's at least getting worth getting in touch again because you provided enough value the last time we did business together. Joe, you know, it's interesting. I don't want to you know, toot my own horn, but something like that happened to me literally about a month ago, about two months ago now. Um, some a, a third party contacted someone, uh, mentioned that he was working with me, and that person and I had had a terrific relationship about eight years ago, uh, six years ago, about six years ago. And she said to the person, oh, my God, you're working with Tim? That's fantastic. Let's do business. That's the kind of relationship you want with people. It's not, you know, oh, my God, you're working with Tim. <laughs> like, don't even talk to me again because I don't <laughs> want to get into that battle you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> And it's so much nicer. Like uh, then you become like the vendor of choice, and just because of you treated them nicely twelve years ago in a different environment altogether. Yeah. And another thing you said, Tom, which I which I love. It sounds to me like Peter could have written this book that, <laughs> because because our attitudes are so much in sync. We say, give it away, give it away. You know, you've got an insight that can help this person. Give it away. You've got a connection that might be useful to this person, but doesn't make you any direct money. You know, the guy is, wants to, you know, open a business in Montreal and you know, a, you know, a fantastically good uh, translation service for, you know, for, for French Canadians. Give it to them. Like, why wouldn't you? And you're delivering what? You're delivering value right away. Bang, right away. And it creates a platform for you to deliver value then ultimately that does make you money, that does make your your company business. Right. And uh, part of what Napoleon Hill teaches is the going the extra mile principle. And and you, it doesn't necessarily, the benefit doesn't necessarily always come back from the person that you went the extra mile for. But if you live your life with the extra mile principle in mind, the universe conspires to reward you. And I wish there was a magic formula, do three good acts for three good people, and you get X amount. There's no mathematical formula to it, but if you live long enough and practice it long enough, 
you know that if you go the extra mile for everyone you know, that benefits are going to fall into your lap that other people would say, you are lucky. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, it comes back, you know, there are people around, everybody knows them, and other people talk about it and they say, you know, I would, this is a great human being. I would do business with this person anytime. That's the kind of person you can be. No problem. You can do it. Everybody can do it. Or you can be the kind of person people say, oh, you know, when this guy calls, you know, be on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Run away, run away. (laughs) Now, is this easier, Tim, uh, with people who have not been in sales before, maybe younger people, to teach them? Because older farts like myself, I've been trained the old way, like, close as soon as you get the name, uh, always be yeah. closing, uh, chase them till they buy or they die. And so it's often, <laughs> buy or <die>. diffi- <laughs> often difficult to, re- <laughs> to retrain people from that kind of thinking where if you get a younger person and, and you can instill these values in them young, then they're not like trying to close it right after they learn the person's name and, and hounding them till they're like, buying or dying i don't know it's hard to generalize tom i I, you know i think there are some people who are remarkably receptive even if they've had long careers um and maybe that's because they're you know part of the way there anyway or maybe even more than part of the way um because you know your your experiences as you you were saying earlier you know your experience it's you know it, it, it each experience builds on another and you know we develop approaches to things i i suppose that if you one of the things I'm just going to backtrack here. One of the things that's so important about the thinking process that we talked about earlier, and there's a strong relationship between the thinking process that I mentioned and, and, and the sales process, because I think both of them are about trying to solve problems creatively in one way or another. Um, sometimes the problem is internal. Sometimes the problem is a client's problem. But ultimately, a salesperson, a good salesperson, is in the business of problem solving. And uh, in order to do that, you kind of have to have an open mind. You can't walk in there and say, I have solution X. I used to work for a guy years ago who sold television productions, you know, videotape productions. And he would walk into companies and it didn't matter what their problem was. The solution was a video. (laughs) Really? So, but then and you can see how absurd that is. Like, of course, the, a video isn't going to, like, it's not going to solve a problem that's a, you know, there's too much congestion in the bathroom problem. How is that possible that a video would solve that problem? But he would try to sell that. And, of course, he had low credibility. But if you walk in there and you say, okay, here's a problem. How can I solve it? And with an open mind, totally different. So it doesn't matter how long someone's been in the business. It matters what their, what their mind frame is, what their orientation is. So people with open minds, people who are willing to, to, to look at new possibilities, they're not so hard to persuade. They're not so hard to convince about the, at least the, 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 the value of trying a new approach. Now, they may reject it after trying it, of course. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that we say is, don't believe me. Try it works great if it doesn't work go back to what you were doing because you're going to be more comfortable with that so i'm not a guru i don't say you know this is the way i just say try it 
see what happens. Right, right, exactly. I'm I'm known for like a ready uh, fire aim approach. I like to just try it, course correct, learn rather than re-examine and re-examine it for 92 years and never try it. And I, I can always, as you say, I can always go back to the way I did it before or just abandon the idea, but at least make an effort, take three or four steps, see where it goes, what you learn, how you can redirect yourself and... Yeah, you can always go back, but at least try. At least try. Absolutely. Be creative enough and uh, brave enough and resilient enough to make an attempt. Make an attempt. Uh, like half the things I do don't work. <laughs> I just tell people flat out when I was a manager, like half my ideas are good and the other half are not so great and half what I do is good and the other half of the new things I try aren't so good. But at least I'm going to try a lot and uh, we're going to do a lot of cool things. And so it makes it a little bit fun, and you always know that, okay, if it doesn't work out, well, at least we tried it. We know, okay, don't try that one again or try it in a different way. And so, yeah, I like that. Just try, try, do something, make a few steps. You can always go back, but be creative enough to at least give it a shot and be Absolutely. somehow. Yeah. All right, well, I we can see, why, I can see why they call you the resiliency expert. <laughs> What's that? Because you got to be a resiliency expert to, you know, to right. have that attitude. I think you're right. Right, exactly. And it's so much what it's about, resiliency. And uh, I see on your website talking about flexibility, and that doesn't uh, mean for someone with four hips and four knees replaced that, uh, you know, I'm going to be doing yoga. It means flexible in your thinking. And so that's so important, be flexible in your thinking, because changes are coming. Changes are coming to your job, to your health, to your life, to whatever. And if you're not flexible enough in your thinking to adapt, uh, it's going to be somewhat of a miserable life. And so it's so important. And so, again, let's remind people, torontosalesummit.com, the odds are pretty low unless you're calling in the next half hour that you're going to get that last ticket. But luckily in this day and age, uh, there are going to be numerous ways to watch it and, and benefit from it and value from it. Same thing as if you're in person almost uh, shortly afterwards. And that's kind of nice, too, where you can watch it on your own time uh, in your own home office or wherever you do your education from. Uh, and so, cool, torontosalesummit.com. It's live April 6th, but, uh, again, unless the phone is dialing as we're on this call, you're likely not going to get that last ticket. But try anyway. Try anyway. Try. That's right. Yeah. Remember that try thing. Try <laughs> anyway. You don't want the 99 people thinking, well, I'm not calling because I'm not going to get that last ticket. One guy calls and he's like, oh, yeah, we still have that ticket. So at least try. At least try. Get a hold of them. Go to the website. Uh, and it's aimed for sales leaders. I was uh, Stephen enforced that. Uh, it's not for, like, the big crowd of ginormous crowd of salespeople from every conceivable industry in the world. It's for people that are in charge of salespeople that have to inspire them and get that creative creativity out of them and get that uh, action out of them and, and get them to do things. And so uh, if you're a sales manager, VP of sales, anything to do with looking after a sales team, um, this is who that uh, summit is aimed at. So torontosalesummit.com. Uh, Tim will be there, Stephen Rosen, T. Borshanto. Who else is there? Uh, uh, um, the, the fourth speaker is Bill Baldasti. He is uh, vice president and one of the founders of Infusion Canada. 
Um, really amazing guy. Infusion is a, a, a company that provides um, digital solutions for sales teams, for sales managers. And in fact, they're one of the sponsors of the uh, of the program. The other sponsor is actually they work in in conjunction with one another. Is Microsoft is is uh, is our lead sponsor for the program. So uh, some pretty heavy hitters. And one of the cool things, and again, you're so right. It's you know you're not going to get that last seat unless you call in about two seconds. Um, but the people who are going to be there. In, in in participants in in the audience are we're talking about some very significant people and um, the networking opportunities should also be quite substantial quite substantial right right never forget that at any event the people you meet at these events are movers and shakers and people moving up in their organizations and contributing a lot of value to the business world and their communities and their countries and they're they're often just as fascinating as the speakers. So try oh, they're going to be awesome. Yeah. yeah. So Toronto. I want to meet them. <laughs> right, yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> That's why you're going. You want to meet them too. So That's right. April sixth. Uh, don't despair. You could get that last ticket, but at least contact them to get a view of it after it's uh, been live, so that you can get the the value from it as well. And and there's going to be a lot of great things taught there. Thanks so much for your time today, Tim. Uh, I could talk for a long time about never be closing because I'm really fascinated by this uh, 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 concept. I love seeing it in practice uh, with Peter, and uh, I think if a lot more people did business that way, uh, sales would be a lot easier for both the salesperson and the person purchasing at the same time. Well said. Well said. Tom, this has been uber fun for me. I've uh, I've got had a real kick chatting with you and, and getting to meet you, and gosh, I, I hope we can find some time to do it again maybe you know off off air offline would be fine i'm hoping so take care tim thanks so much thank you bye-bye hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.